0: morning everyone if you're new my name is tom barrett i'm one of the ministers here let's pray as we turn to god's word lord god we need you as we reflect on the scriptures which we've heard we need you lord we need you to speak We need you to soften our hearts and open our ears. We need you to comfort us. We need you to guide us into the path of wisdom. So please would you you work in us now. Amen. Our topic today is human limitations, human vulnerability and human frailty. And I'm conscious that when many of you hear that title, you will think, I know all about that. I'm conscious that plenty of people in our church have particular circumstances that will immediately come to mind when you hear that title. Some live with chronic illness. Some live with disabilities of various kinds. Some are simply experiencing the progressive impact of advancing age. Some support family members, children or parents in those situations. And I'm conscious that many of you have experiences here that I do not have. Now I'm not limitless, but I don't have a chronic illness. I don't have a diagnosed disability and although I often feel old, I'm not gonna qualify for a senior's card anytime soon. (laughs) There are those who can speak with much more experience than me about particular kinds of human limitation. And it may well be that when you meet with your small group this week, there'll be people there who will be able to share valuable insights based on their experiences in this area. I don't speak from particular personal experience, but my job today is to explore how we can think biblically about human limitations, which, as it turns out, is a topic that's not relevant just to some, but to all of us. When I raise the topic of human limitations, it might be that what immediately comes to your mind is the things that bring us notable pain and legitimate grief and rightful frustration. There are limitations that oppress us. There are limitations that should not be there. There are limitations that we want God to take away. And as a starting point, I just want to affirm that desire for relief. If we're in any doubt about God's attitude towards those kinds of burdens, we should look at the life of Jesus. When Jesus encounters a man who can't walk, what does he do? He heals him and he walks off. When Jesus encounters a woman who's afflicted by constant bleeding, what does he do? He heals her and she rejoins society. When Jesus encounters a boy crippled by seizures, what does he do? He heals him and returns him to his father. When Jesus encounters someone who can't communicate, he heals them. Their eyes are opened and their tongue is untied. The ultimate human limitation is death. And what happens when Jesus encounters those who've suffered death? He raises them to life. In Matthew 11, Jesus describes his ministry as follows. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. When it comes to afflictions that limit us and constrain us and frustrate us and rob us of joy, God's agenda is to remove them through the healing that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave a preview of that in his earthly ministry. We get glimpses of it today when prayers are answered. And we live in expectation of the day when God's kingdom comes, when all creation is released from frustration and those in Christ experience complete healing from all sickness and decay. And while we wait for that day and the redemption of our bodies, it's right for us to cry out to God in our frustration, whether it's for short-term relief or simply, come Lord Jesus, come. I want to acknowledge up front those limitations which oppress us and frustrate us. But it's actually not the case that all human limitation is a bad thing. The Bible shows us that humans are made to be finite. Limits are part of our createdness. If you're the kind of person who's into diagrams, you might like this one. Limits come in two forms. There are limitations which are internal to ourselves and there are constraints that come from outside us, external things. And in both those categories, the internal and the external, there are limits which are oppressive and burdensome and we rightly want them to go away. But in both those categories, there are limits which are good things, which deserve to be recognised, acknowledged and embraced. In the Bible's creation story, we see human limits on display straight away. Can I get you to flip back to Genesis 2? I imagine that's on page 3 or 4 of the church Bibles. In Genesis 2, God has made a world which he pronounced very good at the end of chapter 1. He's given the human race a mission to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and rule it on God's behalf. In chapter 2 God has formed the first man and placed him in a luscious garden, a place of life and abundance. It's all very nice. But let's notice something. This first man has a limitation. On his own, this first man is entirely unable to fulfill and multi- to fulfill the commission to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. He's limited, but his limitation is not the problem here. The problem is that he's alone. The solution is for God to create the first woman. One who is different to the man, but equal to him. A counterpart. And this partnership of limited humans, neither of whom could fulfil the mission on their own, this partnership is what allows the human mission to proceed. Also in these early chapters of Genesis, we see an external constraint that is part of God's good creation. Chapter 2 verse 16 says, The Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Here we have a God-given boundary. This boundary allowed the first humans to acknowledge their creatureliness, to express that God is God and we are not. And so here we have a starting point for our discussion of limits. Human limits are built into God's good creation. Not all limits are bad limits. Humanity was not made to be limitless. And we'll come back to this practically in a moment. But first I want us to see something about the relationship between good limits and bad limits. In Genesis 3, things go downhill. When the first humans listen to one of the creatures instead of to God, their creator, they're deceived. They're convinced that the good boundary they've been given is actually an oppressive imposition. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, there's a writer called Kelly Capick, who I'll be quoting a bit today, and he points out this. Though they were the pinnacle of God's creation in the Genesis narrative, they become dissatisfied, rejecting love to gain power. Being finite creatures, even made in the divine image, was simply not enough. God had given Adam and Eve the fullness of the garden and many other rich gifts. Accordingly, the original sin has the shape of taking the one thing that was not given to them. Rather than perceiving this limitation as a good gift, they viewed it naively and greedily as an opportunity, like children doubting their parents when they tell them not to stick their finger into an electrical outlet. Parents do not set such limits because they disrespect or hate their children but because they so love them and recognise the danger of ignoring their natural limits. And sure enough, when those first humans rejected their status as limited creatures and tried to be like God, things went downhill quickly. We see in Genesis 3 the beginning of conflict between male and female, seeking to impose wrongful limits on each other. We see the beginning of struggle between humanity and the natural world, a frustrating limit on our ability to grow food and feed ourselves. And we see the arrival, as God had warned, of a new and tragic limit on life itself. Death enters human existence. To dust you shall return. And so at this big-picture level, the Bible shows us that the painful, burdensome limitations and the unjust constraints we encounter, they stem from humanity's refusal to embrace the good limits that we were originally given. And so the flip side of this lesson from Genesis 3 is that the path of wisdom, the path of life, involves recognising and acknowledging and embracing Our human limitations. I want to spend a bit of time now thinking about how we can lean into the human limitations that God has designed us to have—the limits which are a feature, not a bug. I want to think about the different aspects of human finitude and the benefits that can come from embracing them. Of course, embracing limits is not very trendy. If you type no limits into Amazon, you get plenty of results. And it may be that the tide is starting to turn a little bit, but our culture still takes Walt Disney pretty seriously when he says, All your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. We still notice the successful entrepreneurs who say, Sleep is for the weak. Embracing limits is not very trendy. Kelly Capix says, who can have it all? We laugh because it's ludicrous, but even as we chuckle, we plan our next day with the expectation that we can and will excel at our job, spend quality time with our family, renew our bodies through physical fitness, eat healthy meals, do the laundry. And in the middle of all this, we expect to be joyful, patient, interesting and kind. Very few of us lay our heads on the pillow at night and feel that we have conquered the day. Embracing limits certainly doesn't fit with the existentialist worldview that says we are here to make our own meaning. But if we are, in fact, made by a loving creator and being limited is how he has made us, if limits are a feature, not a bug, then it's incredibly important to recognise them and lean into the limits that we've been designed with. Humanity as a whole is limited in various ways. Humanity as a whole doesn't have wings, so we can't fly on our own. We don't have gills, so we can't live underwater on our own. And individuals are limited too, in distinctive ways. All of us have a limited number of productive hours in the day. And that number varies between individuals. Capacities vary. But for every human, the number of productive hours in the day is well under 24 All of us are limited in our physical capacities. Some of you can bushwalk or run or cycle much, much further than I can. But none of us can walk or run or cycle forever. We all have our limits. All of us are limited in our knowledge. If you're an expert in one area, it's unavoidable that you're quite ignorant in other areas. All of us are limited in our giftedness and aptitudes. For every skill that you can pick up quickly, there'll be other skills that you never get very good at. That is simply how we are made. So how do we lean into this? What will it look like to embrace good limits? Firstly, it'll look like an appreciation for other people. If I did have unlimited capacity and unlimited skill, if I could do everything for myself, it'd be a lonely existence. But recognising my limits means when I'm sick, I'll consult a doctor, not just Google. I'll go and see the doctor and I'll appreciate that doctor. Recognising my limits mean I'll send my kids to school and appreciate the skilled teachers who educate them in ways that I could not. Recognising my limits means when I can't find something in the pantry at home, I will let my wife have a mother's look And I will appreciate her when she finds the can of beans that I could not. (laughs) I've been a minister now for about five and a half years. And one of the biggest areas I've been growing in is my ability to accept my limitations in ministry. It's very easy for ministers who get paid to feel like we need to be limitless in the ways we serve. But I've been gradually growing in my ability to accept the areas where I'm not very gifted, to embrace those limitations, and therefore to rely on and be thankful for brothers and sisters who are gifted in ways that I'm not. The Bible does not say, Tom Barrett, you are the body of Christ, get to work. It says, the church is the body of Christ. Some of us are hands, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are feet. We need each other. Because every individual is limited. That's how it's meant to be. Secondly, embracing limits will look like the ability to say no and the ability to say yes. Let me explain. Awareness of my limits will allow me to say no to people's requests if I see that the thing they're asking for will take me above the level of workload that I can cope with. Or when I see that the skills required for the task are beyond the limits of my gifting. If I think I'm unlimited, I'll overcommit. I'll get in over my head. I'll let people down. But embracing my limits allows me to say no. But being aware of my limits actually in some cases also helps me to say yes. Because knowing you are a limited person, I think actually frees you to serve. It allows you to move into a situation of chaos or pain or trouble without feeling that you need to be able to fix everything. Knowing you're limited frees you to be a helper without trying to be a saviour. Thirdly, recognising my limits will look like relational humility. If I see myself as unlimited in my rational reasoning, and unlimited in my factual knowledge, then I will be a very unpleasant person to get into an argument with. But if I admit and embrace my limitations, I'll be ready to admit that I might not know all the facts about the situation. I will admit maybe I haven't yet thought it through perfectly. I'll admit that maybe I do have past hurts and unconscious biases that might be influencing me subconsciously. Recognising my limits drives me to humility and gentleness and peaceableness. James chapter 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Humility goes with recognising our limits. Fourthly, embracing our limits will mean valuing rest through Sabbath and sleep. I'll deal with Sabbath first. This has been a controversial topic over the years. And to treat it really quickly, I'm going to say the Old Testament Sabbath law is not one that we sit under as law. But I do think that in rejecting Sabbath legalism, I think modern Western Christians have probably thrown out the baby with the bathwater. I think we've probably lost sight of the creation principle which lay behind the Sabbath law. The principle is that we are limited creatures who are not made to work continuously. And so I think we should have a think about how to apply this Sabbath principle, not just to paid employment but to all the different kinds of work that we do. Let me ask you, what day of the week will you not study and do assignments? Which day of the week will you not wash any clothes? Which day of the week will you not read any emails or do any marking? Which day of the week will you not feed your children? (laughs) Okay, that's not going to work if you're someone who normally cooks with creativity and flair, which day of the week will you get someone else in the household to do the cooking? Or which day of the week will it be baked beans on toast? Which day of the week will you not schedule any extracurricular activities for your children? You might work out different answers to those different questions and that's okay. But having an answer to those questions, applying a Sabbath rhythm to our lives is a way of recognising and embracing our limits as God's creatures. A closely related practice is honouring sleep. Now let's recognise that there are those who suffer from sleep deprivation that's out of their control. Parents of babies, people with physical or mental health issues that obstruct sleep, people with unexplained insomnia. Those things are real But the epidemic of sleep deprivation in our culture is not just caused by those things. For plenty of us, the problem is that we simply don't go to bed when we should. There's always another task to do, or another show to watch, another game to play, another party to go to, and so we push through and convince ourselves we can do it. We grin and bear it and try to convince ourselves that caffeine is a worthy substitute. It is not. We are limited creatures. We were made to sleep. Wisdom lies in embracing rather than denying that limit. And so that leads us to the fifth and final idea. Embracing our limits means honouring God as God. Here's Kelly Capick again. Sleep reminds us every day that we are creatures rather than the Creator. God never sleeps. We usually take that for granted, but we should stop and think about it for a minute. Never, ever sleeps. This gives profound comfort to vulnerable creatures who live in a hostile world. Sleep reminds the believer that we don't sustain the world, but that God does. Psalm 121 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We can sleep because God doesn't. Limits are valuable. If I perceive myself as limitless, then I don't need God. And I don't need other people. But the more I recognize how limited I am, the more I will love God and love other people. And Jesus says that's what life is all about. Now in all this, we've really been looking at the green column of our table, the good and God-given limits. But what about the red column? What about limits that are not part of God's good design, which are oppressive and painful? Should we also respect and acknowledge and embrace those I don't want to go too far here because I started off by saying that when it comes to sickness and pain and injustice we're right to call out to God in faithful complaint we're right to want God to take those things away but I want to suggest that at the same time what we've seen about embracing good limits can also be true of limits which are painful and oppressive I've gained some valuable insights into this from a recent talk by uh, the Australian lawyer, Stephanie Kate Judd. She's an associate with the Centre for Public Christianity and she shares this experience. She says, When I was a teenager, something glitched in my brain and central nervous system and my hand stopped working. Over the course of a year, I went from playing in orchestras to being unable to hold a pencil, from being in the top team of every sport I played to being unable to throw a ball. I'd baffled the world's top neurologists and exhausted every avenue of medical testing. Contrary to all the advice I'd absorbed to that point, the harder I tried, the worse things got. The right side of my body simply did and does not cooperate with my mind's instructions. My involuntary muscle seizures worsened and became a constant part of my life. They are to this day. But my physical limitations have led me to depend more fully on other people. And in that sense, I consider them a gift. Whether it be asking for a lift because I can't walk any further on account of the pain, or accepting an offer to carry my groceries because my dystonia has seized up, I need more help more often. In asking for help, I'm able to press into and participate in networks of grace filled giving and receiving. It is precisely in the location of my need that deeper and richer encounters with the people in my life are made available to me. When we are vulnerable to the people in our life, we create opportunities for intimacy, for self-disclosure, for understanding. If relationships are the most real and meaningful thing in life, which I suspect is the case then anything that fosters deeper relationships is to be embraced, not resisted or resented. That includes our limitations. Flowing from what she says, I want to suggest that drawing near to people with limits that are different to ours presents great value to all of us. Those with long-term sickness or a disability People who are in prison, people who have been discriminated against, the long-term unemployed. They can teach the rest of us spiritual, powerful spiritual lessons that we would otherwise not learn. Embracing our limits is wisdom. Embracing our limits is beneficial and leads to our flourishing. And as we wrap up, I want to point out that embracing limits is very much consistent with being a follower of Jesus Christ. In the incarnation itself, God the Eternal Son embraced all the creaturely limits of human existence. God the Son, through whom all things were made, was willing to take on the limitations of being a human baby dependent on his mother's milk reliant on others to burp him and change his nappies if being limited and dependent on others is good enough for the son of God it's good enough for you Jesus slept because he needed to even in a storm-tossed boat on the road to Samaria Jesus got tired and needed to stop for a rest by a well Jesus could only do so much in one day. When he was asked to stay longer in one town and heal more people, he said no because he knew he couldn't do that and also fulfill his calling to proclaim God's kingdom in other towns. Jesus admitted there were things he didn't know. Jesus embraced limits. He even embraced oppressive external constraints when he was wrongfully arrested and unjustly sentenced and shamefully executed. Because he could see the good that lay on the other side. I'm going to close with a quote from a writer called Justin Early. He points out how the actions of Jesus are the exact opposite of what humans did in the Garden of Eden. Back there, we tried to become gods by rejecting God's authority and eating the forbidden fruit. In trying to free ourselves from our limitations, we brought the ultimate limitation of death into the world. But Christ turns this human paradigm on its head. The way down is the way up. The way to victory is through surrender. The way to freedom is through submission. We, for our own sake, tried to become limitless and the world was ruined. Jesus, for our sake, became limited and the world was saved. And so, brothers and sisters, as followers of a king who saved us by leaning into limitation, let's be those who walk in wisdom and embrace our human limits.